0: Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Let me pray for us. Father, as we move now into a time of study to open the truth of your word. Father, we pray for clarity and understanding. Lord, I pray that the spirit would just open our eyes and our hearts to the truth of your word. Father, may we sense your presence and your power in our lives. and may, may we learn from your truth. May we take that truth and, and apply it to our lives. Father, may we glorify you this morning in our time of worship. Father, we pray through the power of the spirit that we would read and study and understand and and through our understanding and, and through the Spirit, Father, we would be transformed more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles this morning. Open to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is the last Sunday before school starts, right? kind of a mixed bag parents are like yes and kids are like i don't know it's exciting it's been a great summer a lot of neat fun things have taken place up here we got a lot of neat stuff coming in the fall school starts back kind of get back in a routine still some mission trips and mission activities coming a lot of fall activities we got a fun night i think the phil's playing this friday night movie night for families and kids we are going to show it outside that'll be fun wednesday night start back the 23rd of august so deep roots classes uh, our town kids students all those things going on next sunday i'll ask for you to be in prayer for me if you would we're starting a new series through the book of Acts. We're going to start in Acts 1 and work our way through. I I pray the Lord just speaks to us through that series as we study the early church and the power of the Spirit, working in the hearts of of His people uh, and doing great things and just kind of better understand that model. And then last week, we had this great privilege of baptizing, which we do on a regular basis, and then studying baptism and understanding baptism. This morning, the Lord's Supper. And so we spent some time last week working through scripturally what baptism is and better understanding it. This morning we're going to work through scripturally the Lord's Supper and seeing if we can better understand it. It's one of two ordinances within the local church, right? Baptism is one, Lord's Supper is the other. The ordinances are basically things that Christ has commanded the church to do, to remember Him, to fellowship together, and, and so we want to learn as much as we can this morning and try to understand the Lord's Supper this morning, and i, I just kind of maybe uh, encourage you in our study as we work through this passage of Scripture together, having the mindset that in just a little while this morning, we're going to partake together of this. So we want to understand it, we want to kind of figure out what Christ did it for, why he showed us in his scripture that it's so important. And so I started last week with baptism by giving you kind of three main points, really outside of this truth. It's not in the scripture we're going to look at this morning. Three main points of baptism, kind of foundational things we need to understand. I want to do the same thing about Lord's Supper this morning. Now, I'm I'm doing it like this because this is not found in the text we're going to read this morning. It's found in other parts of Scripture, but it's foundational. I want you to understand it. It gives us just a better understanding of the Lord's Supper before we kind of delve into the specifics in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The first thing I want you to see this morning, again, this is foundational to to, uh, the Lord's Supper, not found in this text, but found in other parts of Scripture. Number one, I just want to be clear. the, The Lord's Supper does not save you. Okay, I said that last week about baptism. I had some discussion during the week with people about that. I, I want to be crystal clear. If you're not a believer this morning and, and you choose to do this, which we're going to explain here in just a second uh, kind of who this is for and what it's about, but if you were to uh, this morning take a piece of the bread, drink the juice, and you're not a believer before you do that, you're not going to be a believer after you do it. The like Lord's Supper does not convey upon you salvation. Baptism does not convey upon you salvation. It's something we do because we're saved. It's obedience to the commands of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But it, but it does not save you. I just, I, I just want to be very clear about that for you. The, the second thing I want to be clear about is the Lord's Supper's designed for Believers. It's designed for the church. It's designed for Christians. So if you're not a believer, I'd love to share with you salvation this morning. I'd love to help you understand salvation. You're certainly welcome to to observe this and be part of it. But God instituted this for His church, for believers. And then the third thing, and this is... Going to be a no-brainer for most of us, but because of the backgrounds that some people come from, I just want to be clear. I'm not going to go into any detail. You you meet me for lunch one day this week, and I'll talk about it if you want to. We would argue in the in the Baptist faith that the the bread and the blood do not actually turn into uh, the bread and the wine do not turn into the body and the blood, right? So the idea of transubstantiation that the bread actually turns into the body of Christ and the wine turns into the blood of Christ. There are other denominations that would teach that. We do not. I just want to be clear about what that means. It's symbolic for us. We'll talk about why. We'll talk about why that's important. Now, now, Jesus, I want you to kind of understand the history here before we jump in. I feel like there's a lot of things I need to preface before we get into to 1 Corinthians 11. Jesus really instituted the Lord's Supper at his final supper with his disciples. So many of you know the story of Jesus, right? So he he lived a perfect life. He did miraculous things. Uh, all sorts of accounts are written about him in the in the four gospels. We know about the walking on the water and the the, the, the turning the the uh, the uh, bread uh, to uh, what am I saying? The water to wine. When I get stuck, y'all jump in. Feel free to name miracles of Jesus. Okay. Uh, he raised Lazarus from the dead. He did, he did some pretty incredible things. But, but Jesus, at the end of his ministry, willingly walked to Jerusalem, right? Allowed himself to be arrested and crucified for our sins. Now, when he walked into Jerusalem, he spent one final week with his followers, one final week with his disciples. And in that final week, one, one of the most important things that he did was this Lord's Supper, Right? This final supper. So I want to read you an account. And this is not our text this morning. We're going to be in First Corinthians 11. But I want to read you an account. We read an account in John a minute ago. I want to read another one from Luke. You don't have to flip there. I just want to read it to you. Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 14. Just the account of the Last Supper. is found in all four Gospels. But just listen to the words uh, in Luke of the story of the Last Supper with Jesus. And when the hour came, he, this is Jesus, reclined at the table and the apostles with him right? they would literally lay down kind of on their side and, and eat with their hand and he said to them i have earnestly desired to eat this passover with you before i suffer now we're going to get to passover in a second Right, if it's new to you or you don't fully understand Passover, we're going to get there in just a few minutes. But this is the Passover meal they're eating together. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this, divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Verse 19, he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Right. So this is a big deal. This, this is the final meal. You may remember that after Jesus and his disciples had this final meal, he, he walked out of the upper room, across the Kidron Valley, up the Mount of Olives, the Bible tells us, he walked a little father why his disciples fell asleep he begged them to pray moments later he was arrested so so when he shares this last supper with his disciples it's the last time on earth that he's going to fellowship and teach and train his followers so it's a really big deal Now I fear, like I I talked last week, that sometimes we kind of skirt past the importance of the ordinances, right? We're happy about baptism, let's move on. We're happy about the Lord's Supper, let's move on. These are big deals in the life of the church. This is a big deal for Jesus. This was a big deal for his followers. It should be a big deal for us. It's a really big deal for Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So let's turn our attention now to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to begin in verse 17. Paul is speaking to the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth has, has, has had some issues, and he's writing this letter to encourage them, to challenge them, to remind them of the importance of unity and uh, seeking the Lord together. And he's going to hone in now in chapter 11 on this idea of the Lord's Supper, the significance of the Supper, and we're going to draw some truth out of that together this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse Seventeen, The words of Paul. He's speaking to the church in Corinth. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, and he's talking specifically about the Lord's Supper, it's not for the better, but for the worse. So they're coming together for the Lord's Supper, but not for the right reasons. Verse 18. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine may be recognized. Verse 20, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. Verse 22, what... Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Now let's stop for a second and let's notice some important truths out of this text that Paul wants the church at Corinth to understand. But he wants us to understand it as well. Things that we can apply to our lives and specifically as we partake together today in the Lord's Supper. Here's the first truth. We have it on the screen. We find it in this text, number one, the Lord's Supper should bring unity in Christ. Right? One of the themes we see in this context, one of the themes we see at the Last Supper with Jesus and His disciples and all four Gospels, one of the themes we see in other parts of the New Testament is this idea of unity. Paul says one of the main reasons we do the Lord's Supper is we, so we can come together unified for the sake of the kingdom. Now, now unity is this idea that we, found, we find all through scripture. It's not just in this one verse. It's not just with the Lord's Supper. In fact, if you were to kind of do a study through the New Testament of this idea of unity and maybe taking it a step farther, serving one another, the loving one another's kind of verses in the New Testament, you would find that all through Scripture are these indications that we as a body of believers ought to find unity in the things of Christ. So, So Paul has already said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In fact, verse 10, he said to the church at Corinth, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there are no divisions among you, but that you be unified in the same mind and the same judgment. There's this sense of togetherness, oneness, unity. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry... For building up the body of Christ until, right, so there's this idea, right, so the leaders of the church are called to equip the body in order to do the works of service, verse 13, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. So there's this overriding theme in Scripture that we should be unified, there, there should be no division, that we're kind of all on the same page, that we're kind of accomplishing the same things together. Now, now the opposite of that, disunity and, and discord and division are, are readily seen in our world, aren't they? Unfortunately, we, we see them plenty of times in the church. I, I bet we could go around and all tell stories of a church that we know that had some sort of division, some sort of an argument, some sort of a split. We all know those places. Now, the, the saddest part about that, and there's a, there's a lot of sad things that go along with it, but usually uh, those divisions and those splits happen over insignificant things rarely does a church split over major doctrine it just doesn't usually happen it starts with something simple like the color that we laugh about the color of the carpet and by the way we love our pink mauve carpet it's beautiful it matches the semi-red pews it's nice so we don't have any problems here with color schemes but people get upset about the colors or the the light. and factions form don't they and divisions started, and before long, this group likes this, and this group likes this, and I was talking to somebody a couple weeks ago about the church split they went through, and the divisions, and, and how people were trying to pull them in one direction. That's not what Paul teaches. Paul is very clear that the church is to be Unified. The church is to be together. The church is to be seeking kind of common ground, focusing on the Lord and the Lord's will for our lives. Now I want to read a verse to you out of Philippians. I think we have it on the screen where Paul talks a little bit more about this. Verses 1 and 2. He's talking about the idea of encouragement in Christ. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affliction and sympathy, in other words, if there's, there's, go back real quick, if there's sympathy or encouragement or comfort or love in Christ, if we have that, which we should, now go to verse 2, complete my joy by being, right? So here's who we should be, of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one body. Right? Paul says, listen, if we, if we love the Lord and we serve Christ, we ought to have the same mind, the same love, being in full accord, being of one mind, working together to accomplish the purposes of Christ. And, and the Lord's Supper is this beautiful opportunity for us to come together to unify over common purposes and a common calling in our life. That's, that's what the Lord's Supper is designed to be. And so what Paul says to us on, on several different occasions along those lines is, listen, because the Lord has called us to have one body and, and one mind and one spirit and one purpose, he's, he's gifted us in, in different areas, right? So, so you have a different gift than I have. And you have a different gift than she does and she has a different gift than you do. And we all have these different gifted uh, areas of our lives. And, And Paul says, listen, we're all part of the same body and each one of the parts functions together working to move the body of Christ ahead for the things of the Lord. So so one of the questions is is we kind of think through the Lord's Supper, think through unity, think through common purpose for the Lord, is you should kind of ask yourself the question on a regular basis, like, what's my part in the body? What's what's my individual calling? Where's my area of giftedness that I can plug into the body of Christ so we can be unified in mind and in purpose and in love, walking to accomplish the things the Lord has called us to accomplish? Now, I'm going to offend you, so be ready. Right? offense warning coming. Your role or your area of giftedness is not simply to show up and sit in a pew. That's good I'm talking to, you know, almost 400 people because you don't know that I'm talking to you directly, right? If you just come and sit and soak and leave, listen, that's part of it. We need to come and be together as a body and worship, and certainly that, but there's a lot more to it. You you need to be active in your walk, You, you need to find a place to serve, you need to figure out the Lord's purpose for your life in this body. I worry that, that far too many kind of modern Christians, at least in our society, kind of view church almost like a cruise ship. Where you just kind of show up, and, you know, you just lounge around, you'll sit around, get to eat a little bit, a little bit of entertainment. We'll float around for a few days and you get to go home, no responsibility like Nothing that you have to do if you don't want to. If you just want to come and sit and soak and go and find Y'all ain't y'all, hey, like I'm Captain Stubing right of the love boat? Like I'm just supposed to give you this great experience and this great journey. We all feel good and go home. And that's not the calling of Scripture. I, I view the church more, you remember the, the, the pictures of those Roman uh, warships with the rows and there's like 50 guys on each side and pull and we're all rowing to a certain place, to a certain destination, for a certain purpose. That's our calling, Find unity in the body to accomplish these very difficult but very important things for the sake of the kingdom. That's who we're called to be. And we can't row without you. We can't do this without you. It's hard enough to row when we're all rowing together. When we've got kind of dead weight that we're pulling along with us, it becomes even more difficult. God says, I've just got this plan for you. The, the Lord's Supper reminds us of this idea of unity in Christ. Now let's continue. Look at verse 23. There's more Paul wants us to get here. I thought for a long time about that, that love boat. I wanted to kind of assign staff members to different people on the love boat, but I just, I skipped that. I skipped that. I feel like that'd be a little weird. <laughs> Doc and Isaac and Julie and all those people. Y'all, y'all fill the blanks in. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Paul continues. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, right? And this is he's reminding us of the final supper. Took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, "This is my body, which is for you. Do this." And this is the important word. He's going to say it again in a minute. Do this in what remembrance of me? Verse twenty-five. In the same way, also he took the cup. After supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, do this as often as you drink it in. There's the word again. Remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Here's the second truth, right? The Lord's Supper brings us to unity, reminding us of the unity and the purpose. Number two, the Lord's Supper helps us remember the sacrifice of Christ. This do or do this in what? Remembrance of me. Jesus says, listen, when we come together to the Lord's table to partake in unity together of the Lord's supper, we're doing it for a simple reason. That reason is to remember what Christ did. Now, if we were to kind of think back through the life of Christ, I mentioned this just a few minutes ago, all the miraculous things he did and the, and the ministry that took, took place, there's a lot of things we could remember about Jesus. A lot of incredible things we could remember about his life. But, it, but in this context, when we come to the Lord's Supper, we're to remember very simply that his body was broken for us. And so there's the, the, the symbolism of the bread, the, the body that's broken there's the symbolism of the, of the wine that's poured out, of symbolic of his blood that was poured out for us. And Jesus says, listen, when you come together and you take the bread and you drink the wine, remember me. Remember what I did for you. Remember how I sacrificed for you. Remember what I accomplished for you on the cross. You know, I, I'm fearful that far too many Christians just kind of just glaze right over this. We just kind of quickly do it and we move on to the next thing. But this ought to be a a moment for us where we can kind of reorient ourselves, set the things of the world outside, kind of be still and know that He is God and and remember the sacrifice that He made. Now, I I read a few minutes ago in Luke the idea of the Passover meal and I want to just spend a moment or so there because I think it's important for us to understand what Jesus is doing here. The disciples came together for that final supper and it was the celebration of the Passover. Now some of you are familiar with the story of Passover, some of you are not, but I want to recount that very quickly because it's important for us to understand what Jesus is doing here at the Lord's Supper. The Passover meal was when the people of Israel, the Jewish people, remembered all the Lord had done for them in Egypt right thousands of years before. Now you may remember that the people of Israel are in captive uh, to the people of Egypt and they're enslaved. And Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, listen, let my people go. A series of plagues follow. Pharaoh is obstinate. His heart has been hardened. He won't let the people of Israel go. The 10th plague, God sends the death angel. And he says, listen, every firstborn in Egypt will die unless you take the blood. And this is just the beautiful picture of Christ. There's so many pictures of Jesus in the Old Testament. The beautiful picture of Christ in the Passover is you've got to take this lamb, this spotless, blameless, perfect lamb. Like not not the worst one you have, the best one you have. Sacrifice that lamb. Take the blood of that lamb, which is the picture of Jesus, Paint it over the doorframe of your house. And when the death angel comes, the death angel will see the blood of the lamb, right? Connect that with the New Testament of Christ. The death angel will see the blood of the lamb, painted over the doorpost of your house, and will pass over your house, and your firstborn will be spared. All right? So, so, so through the blood of the Lamb you will be saved. Beautiful. It's beautiful. It's a picture of Christ all the way back in Exodus. Right, but, the, but the Jewish people remembered this. This was important and this was a celebratory time for them and they would meet every year regularly and have the Passover feast and certain things about the feast they would eat would remind them of the bitterness of their uh, enslavement and the, the beauty of what the Lord did and the unleavened bread. They couldn't bake yeast into the bread. They didn't have time to let it rise. They had to get out of Egypt in a hurry. All of those things are symbolic of what the Lord had done. Now I want you to listen. What Jesus does, this is important. He says to his disciples, Listen, guys, we're meeting for this final meal. We're taking the elements of Passover. We're remembering all that the Lord has done for us up until this point. But, guys, Jesus says, from this point forward, I want you to understand no longer do you have to remember and celebrate the Passover for all that's happened in the past. I'm about to do something new, I'm going to redirect all the symbolism you've seen in the past to me. So from this point forward, you're going to still celebrate what the Lord's done, but now you're going to celebrate the breaking of my body, the giving of my blood, shedding for you in salvation as a gift that you can remember from this point forward. So, So when you do this, we're mindful of the things of the past, we're mindful of the Passover, we're mindful of the ways in which the Lord worked, but we remember Christ. And we remember his death and his burial and his resurrection. Now, I spent a few minutes last week just kind of thinking about salvation with you. And I want to do it again very briefly this morning. If you're a guest with us and maybe you've come because somebody invited you or maybe you just sensed you wanted to come to church and and, and celebrate this morning or whatever reason you're here, if you're an unbeliever or you've never repented or you don't fully understand salvation, I'd like you to understand just, just very quickly. I'd love to talk with you more about this at the end of the service if I could, but I don't want to miss this opportunity to help you understand the idea of salvation. Jesus tells us very simply that we're all sinful. We've all been separated from the Lord because of our sin. We've all distanced ourselves from the Lord. We've we've broken this relationship. God created us perfectly. He wanted to walk with us in fellowship because of our sin. We've now been separated from the Lord. The bad news is there's nothing we can do to get back. There's no way back to the Lord through our own strength. And so so in his glory and in his love and in his sacrifice for us, Jesus kind of steps out of heaven, comes and lives among us, lives this perfect, sinless life, dies on the cross, and provides now this bridge back to the Lord. And through repentance, we repent of our sins... Accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. The Bible tells us we will be saved. And it's only through the repentance and the forgiveness of sins and the salvation of Jesus Christ that we'll experience eternal life with him after we die. So so if you've never done that, and the the Lord right now is just maybe impressing on your heart, you feel something moving or changing in your heart, and maybe you want to talk to me more about that, I'd love to spend some time thinking with you about that this morning. I'd love to spend some time thinking with you about that after our service. I'd be happy to talk with you and, and pray with you. But, but Paul tells us, listen, the reason we're doing this, Jesus tells us, the reason we're doing this this morning is so we can remember that. We can remember that sacrifice. We can remember that forgiveness. We can remember that opportunity back to the Lord. Now we need to finish. Look at verse 27. First Corinthians 11, verse 27 Whoever therefore, right? So there's this kind of open statement that Paul gives us. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an, what? Unworthy manner. That's important. So, so the idea is there is the possibility you can come to the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. That is possible. Whoever does that will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Right? So pause for a second. There's a possibility of you coming in an unworthy manner. We'll get there in just a second. Verse 28. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Here's truth number three. We must examine our hearts before we come to the Lord's table. There should be this process... And this period of examination before we come together to the Lord's table. I'm going to give you three very simple areas of examination you need to be thinking through. You should be preparing your hearts. I'm going to give you time in the service here in just a few minutes to to spend some real time kind of reflecting on these things. But, But three areas of examination before you come to the Lord's table. The first one is the examination of your heart to the question of whether or not you're a believer. Am I truly a believer? That's kind of the first examination you need to have. Now, if you've been a believer for a number of years and and you're good there, praise the Lord, you can pray for the person that's not. If you're uncertain, I'll be happy to talk with you about it again and share the idea of salvation. But this is for believers. If you're uncertain, I want to talk and I want to help you understand. But that's the first point of examination, right? Am I a Christian? Have I accepted Jesus? Have I repented of my sins? Have I accepted Him as my Lord and Savior? That's the first thing. Many of us can kind of check that box, right? So the second level. The second thing we ought to examine is, is there unrepentant sin in our life? Is there something you've done to sin against the Lord or against a brother? Can you point to something in your life? You know, I've, I've, I've been struggling with this, dealing with this, I'm involved in this. You kind of fill in that blank, whatever it might be. Is, is there unrepentant sin that you need to ask the Lord forgiveness of? Because you don't want to come in an unworthy manner. You don't want to come living in sinfulness. And so you you have this opportunity to examine your heart, examine your life for unrepentant sin. And then the the, the third thing you ought to examine, very simply, after you've examined your salvation and any unrepentant sin in your life, the third thing you ought to examine is your unity within the body. Is there a brother or sister you need to patch something up with? Because Paul just, he, again, he argues this idea of unity all through the New Testament. He argues it again in 1 Corinthians. We see the unity of the, the brothers that, that lived with Christ for three years and ministered with him. We, we can't allow, and I, I'm hoping I'm speaking to your heart right here. We can't allow division to separate us. Differences. Arguments. Whatever the case may be. Right? If there's disunity, if you need to go to somebody this morning, go to them. If you need to come to the altar and pray to repent of sin, come to the altar and pray to repent of sin. We we have this beautiful opportunity in 1 Corinthians given by Paul to be reminded of this chance to examine our hearts so we can come purely to the table to remember, to be unified, to trust the Lord that he'll lead us and he'll direct us in the way he wants us to go. Now I want to read a verse for you in, in Psalm 139 then I'm going to be done. It's a psalm for you to begin to think about. Again, you're, you're, I hope, already preparing your hearts for this, being ready for this. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. I want you to listen to the words. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way Everlasting. You begin to search your heart. You begin to prepare your heart. You begin to be ready to partake together in the Lord's Supper as I pray for us this morning. Father, we thank you for the teaching you've shown us in this scripture. Your word is so clear, Lord, and it's so understandable if we just take time to study it. Such a beautiful picture of unity, a beautiful picture of your sacrifice as we remember you. It's a beautiful reminder, Father, for us to get our hearts right through repenting of sin or speaking to a brother or sister. So, Father, I pray that during our time of invitation and and during our time of examination over the next few moments, Lord, that the people of this church, these precious, beautiful people, Father, would take very seriously this call. They take very seriously this call, Father, of examination, of remembering, of coming together in unity. Lord, there, there, there are... So many, so many foes right now, Lord, that come against the church. There's so many things that want to destroy us from without, Father. Help us not to destroy ourselves from within. Help us to trust you and follow you. Lead us to where you want us to go. Allow this Lord's Supper this morning to be meaningful and important and and relevant in our lives, Father. Lead us to the foot of the cross. We love you in all things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to stand this morning. We're going to have just a a brief time of invitation. The altar is open. You can speak to me. You can pray. This is your chance to respond as you come as we sing together. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the contact us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.